on episode 31 of Out of Play Area, the game developers podcast, we sit down with Ben Rattan, a lead AI and encounter designer at Hangar 13. Ben and I go way back to my first gig in the industry at Midway Austin, as well as he is a Full Sail alumni. He has had a super interesting career in development, both in and around game design, computer science, science, robotics, engineering, you name it, he's had a hand in it or some great thoughts to break down. On this episode, we talk about going full sail, Dave Arneson, the creator of Dungeons and Dragons. We talk about what it's like working at LucasArts. We sit and talk about the transistor and the gift that was to modern society. We definitely go deep on AI and some of the advancements and where that's gonna take us and what he's excited about into the future. And in particular on this one, a major initiative called Dream Week that he had a big hand in bringing to fruition for his company. Coming to us from the Bay Area, Ben Rattan. Let's fall the fuck out. Bienvenido, bienvenue. Welcome to the Out of Play Area podcast, a show by video game devs for game devs, where the guests open up one-on-one about their journey, their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads, no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area with your host, seasoned game designer, John Diaz. You've lived many lives, Ben. I'm a jack of all trades, but a master in them. Some people need to be that way, man. You know, there's two ways to maximize. Well, you can go deep, we can go wide. And mm-hmm. I, I go deep on certain things like AI and game design, like, but I go wide on a lot of other things. It's been a minute, man. The last time I saw you was yeah, down in the dirty ATX, the legendary Midway days, rest in peace. I still look back on those days and can't even imagine like the wealth of talent even when we were juniors and mixed with the veterans we had there to see like what everybody would go on to work on and become. I always look back, right? There's a multiverse alternate reality where we all stayed together and like brought Midway back to prominence for the later part of the decade. The six gyms, like you got your reality, you got, you know, everything you're doing. You know, I got, I got my mind gym. Like we had other people that are graphics and like, you know, everything like, aren't those like all just one piece to a giant puzzle? It's true. You couldn't keep us together too long, right? It, like they had to be balanced to the universe kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We had to be scattered. We had to be apart to, to come back together. Yes. I do imagine like if, if we did all come back together, then we might break the universe. <laughs> <laughs> they, those ships to Mars would have to come sooner than later, potentially. Oh, oh I mean, you know, I discovered water on Mars, right? Do every time you tell me that I have to take a pause and be like, what was this guy doing that he was already experimenting and looking ahead. I was a young kid, you know, I was great at math and science and like I got discovered by the right people at the right time. You know, it was, that's the way I describe luck. Everybody has Mm -hmm. their definition of luck. And my definition of luck is being at the right place at the right time and knowing it. So like I was self-conscious, I was self-aware enough. Like even as a preteen tween, I knew where I wanted to go in life. And I've always known that I wanted to make games. Where were you at this time? In Birmingham, Alabama, I grew up there. We had an amazing school system. The year that I graduated, our school in Birmingham, JCIB, the Jefferson County International Baccalaureate School, is founded for diplomats and for the students that were coming over as part of that culture. Like, because a U.S. degree isn't even recognized internationally. 
Like you go to Spain, you go to France, you go to, you know, UK, you have a high school diploma. It's like, they're, but you have a high school diploma from the U.S. What does that work? And so they made this whole program, the JCIB or IB program to make it internationally recognized. There was a whole IB accreditation and ACT, SAT scores. Actually, we had the highest ACT, SAT scores. I was one of four people who made perfect ACTs. What's that, like a 30? Uh, 36. You do it by taking it repeatedly. You don't get a perfect on your first try. They take the best score of each category, right? Yeah, you can perfect it that way, but there's a true perfect. The same way that you get a true, like, you know, like a uh, skill unlock or you get a, an achievement. Like I was unlocking achievements back in the day, like, you know, that were real life achievements. And so they put us on the front of Newsweek magazine. Actually, yeah. the year I graduated. By the time I graduated, I think I'd taken something like eight or 12 like AP classes. I went straight into being a sophomore in, in college, but it didn't mean anything because the skills that I wanted to learn, they don't teach in college. Mm. Full sale was the first place that I ever taught that actually taught me the skills that I actually needed. Well, the ones that you wanted, right? To do the thing you wanted to do. Exactly. It was a huge draw for me with Dave working there. Like, you know, Dave, Dave Arnison. And, yeah, the, the founder of D&D, you know, the, the true True creative. <laughs> Depending who you ask, yeah. Gary Gygax, he is the Jobs of the Wozniak. He is the guy who is the producer. It's like mm -hmm. the producer's going to take all the credit, you know, and while you get your programmers in the background who are working hard, who are no. doing the job, who are doing the heavy lifting. Like, who's that guy on G4? Who's that guy on, you know, on the IGN interviews? Who's that guy at, showing up at E3? You know, he's up there. He's talking about the game. He's, he's the hype man. He's the front man. He has a valuable role. Yes. And, and I don't, I don't want to discredit any producers or any executive producers, especially because I don't want to ever get like, you know, blacklisted from something. The producers, they, they have a great role, but they don't understand the inner workings. They don't understand the, the minuscule details. And I wanted to go to Full Sail, study under somebody that taught the details. Mm -hmm. that taught how does this pawn move in chess? How does a uh, character move in uh, Warhammer? Because that, that's actually what Dave, Dave studied or that's what he did before. He ever made DD. I don't most I've, I've had the privilege, the honor, and the privilege of sitting down with him and talking with him while he was still around. And, you know, when we used to talk, I talked to him about what was it like making Wartop Gaming and making yeah. that thing because Wartop Gaming was his bag back in the day. All these reenactments, and you see people pushing pawns around or, or pawns, but you see people pushing groups Pieces, of cavalry around on the on a board. That was Wartop Gaming. That was the way the generals, that's the way that. People back in the day, like, you know, go back to Greek times that people would model, like they would get reports from the front. You know, the term Nike, right? Yeah. You know that that's from somebody running 26 and a half miles, like a fucking marathon. marathon they like... running back and then dying because they're reporting back to their generals. They're reporting back. They're saying victory, Nike. But like, you know, that's the kind of stuff that he used to do. And that like, he inspired me so much. Like it's in the details. Everything is in the details. You got to Full Sail because that's this place that was actually teaching game design and development, right? I mean, I mean, there was a few options at the time that seemed to be closer to your stomping grounds in Birmingham. I recently hired one of my ex-professors, Kayvon Acosta. Shout, Shout out to Kayvon. Yeah, he was talking to me. Like he, was, he was saying like they've shifted their focus. They've split it into multiple tracks. So if you do want to be a producer, if you want to be the hype man, if you want to be the person who understands production, because mm -hmm. it, it is a valuable skill. like Super valuable. I've had to learn how to do it all. There's places in the, in the industry that claim like, oh yeah, we're flat, we don't have producers. But all that really means is that everybody wears a producer hat, right? Yeah. Well, you still have 
to have, at the end of the day, you have to have somebody that checks off all the boxes, right? Mm -hmm. like, even if you don't have a producer, you always have a product owner. Yeah. In scrum methodology, you have like, you know, the scrum leader and then you have the product owner, like, you know, agile. Everybody talks about agile. Everybody talks about, oh, we're super agile. It's like, yeah, that just means that you don't <laughs> want to like have organization sometimes. <laughs> but, but I think the best organization, it, it comes up around organically. It mm -hmm. comes from, from people stepping up, people taking the lead, people taking charge. You still have your goals. So what I do today as a lead, because that, that's my current position, I'm, I'm the lead AI and encounter desire. What I do is I work with my directors, I take their goals, and I break those down into actionable tasks. Okay. I say to each one of the people in my group, or I delegate out to another lead or give them like what our requirements are. Like I say to them, like, hey, and it's sometimes like more ethereal or ephemeral, mm -hmm. you know, like we as a director, I want to see combat be good. It's uh -huh. like, well, what does like combat a, good mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a user story, story kind of thing. Yeah, you, you get this user story. And then as a lead, what you have to do is you have to break it down. And this is what production does, but the disconnect sometimes is the production side doesn't understand always the technical requirements. Yeah. Right? They, they don't understand the, the Dave Arneson kind of details, like the little Snickers details is what my creative writing teacher used to say. Snickers like the candy bar? Yeah, yeah. Well, when you write a creative writing paper, do you say, I went to the store and I got a candy bar? No, nah, no, nah, you got to fluff it. I, I went to the store and I got a Snickers. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The creativeness is in the details. And sometimes that kind of detail gets lost, like across like production and design. And it's not production's fault. Oftentimes, like if you don't have a, a producer that's embedded with oh, your yeah. team, if they're not with you, like, uh, you know, if you don't have pods, like is, is the terminology they use in Scrum, like you don't have a, a producer for your pod, they don't know every single day what every single person within that pod is doing and why they're doing it. And when it's like, when it can be expected to be delivered, how can you expect anybody to produce anything when they don't even know what they're talking about? Sure. Sure. I mean, like what, what do you do in cases where you're like, your team's kind of spread thin and, and you know, you got to share producer across different features and strike teams. Like how do you keep the communication? We've got to step up. We've got to step okay. up and they have to be the producers themselves. And that's what I've had to do in several situations. I've been in a 300 person team. I've been in a three-person team. I've seen the gambit. Like I've seen, I've seen you know the small team, the large team, and, and like like I said, you got to take off that designer hat. You got to put on the producer hat. You have to understand what the constraints are. You have yeah. to understand what the deliverable time is. You have to understand uh, why is my director asking for this in the first place? Because sometimes they say I want being good, but what they really mean is I want you to improve the controls. Oh yes. You have to interpret that. You have to understand. But again, that's a, that's a level of communication. Like if you, if you have a, a flat hierarchy, like, okay, well, you have a flat hierarchy. Does that mean that everybody's talking to everybody all the time? I've never felt a problem. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've gotten in trouble for this at some companies <laughs> walking up to a, to a person's office and just being like, Hey dude, what's up? Like yeah. you know, walking directly to a person and asking them a question. Some places, you know, they want you to stay in your channel. They want you to, mm. you know women in your lane, like, like going up to the director of the game and just asking them like, Hey, like, I want to ask you about this. Yeah. In some ways it isn't cool. Like, so when people talk about flat hierarchy, mm -hmm. I think what they mean is open communication. Yeah. Like, the same way that we have open floor diagrams. Yeah. You, you can go anywhere to anybody. 
Yeah, look, well, well, I I worked in QA, but I worked in QA for a software development company that did finance software. And if I walked up to the vice president of the finance software company and I just walked into his office, I was like, hey, dude, like, what do you want for this thing? He would he would shut me down like in a second. <laughs> Man, I, I guess I can see that right on like teams of like on massive teams where you know multiple people need to be in the know. And if you kind of go around these little like checkpoints and stuff like that, then someone gets left out and hey, how come Ben knows this thing and you didn't know, you know, lead person or something like that? Well, okay. So that's the reason why we made Discord. That's the reason why like Slack exists is to Hell try yeah. to, you, you know, you know, all, all Slack is, is IRC with the HTML5 interface. Damn. Like, that's all, that's all it is. like anybody who's been using shales, like since the original news groups that were free email, like, you know, news groups were just, it's a threaded channel. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's like, all we did was we made Slack for gamers. Like when I was working on Discord. Well, it started for gamers, right? But now it's become just like widely adopted for any well, no, community. So what we used to be doing is we used to be writing bots, like, uh, or Stan, the, the lead, uh, like a uh, tech guy over at Discord, used to be writing bots uh, for monitoring when, when boss spawns would happen in Final Fantasy 13. They would, he would message them back to himself so they could log in and, and then like camp the spawns. Uh, like that, that's, that's, that was the reason why, why, you know, he made all this stuff. So he didn't have to write those thoughts anymore. This necessity of something kind of feeding technology, right? Or apps. And then other people get their hands on it. But, oh, I could also do other things with this. But I mean, but, but games aren't always about necessity. They're about art and, and. Great art is is something that touches it, you, it moves you. It's is you as a viewer are now or experiencer in the case of games, but you as the player that you give them agency, you give them the power to explore the space. There was a talk by there was you know in the defense of like Siskel Ebert back way back in the day. I, I think the I original critics, that. man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What do they do? Do they do well, like the two thumbs up thing? Are our games art? Like I don't think anybody argues that anymore. It's like whether like. Whether not, when I say games, I don't mean the art, the um, visuals of it. I don't mean the sound design. I don't mean the animation. Everybody like wholeheartedly agrees. But do you consider the maker of chess an artist? See, that's an interesting one, right? Because I mean, I would not, man. I would consider it. Well, whoa, 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 dude, dude, like really? Okay, come on. The person who wrote the rule set, the person who said that this like modeling, like that's what Dave did. That's what Dave mm. did. And that's the reason why I appreciate him as an artist. He said, this pawn moves forward. This is actually representative of 15 real people out mm. on the battlefield getting killed right now. Like in their pawns, quote unquote, but they're, they're representative of a group of, of people who are living, breathing, dying, just like you and me. Like, they, but it's, it's the modeling and the modeling of a system is an art form. I, when you break it down like that, I will agree that that's an art, right? Like modeling something you see in the world down to some like sweet, contained, finite rule set. Like yeah. that, I think, is an so, art. So uh, one, one of my favorite uh, exercises to give uh, somebody who's on a job interview is like, make me a game. Make me a rule set right now. Here's mm -hmm. your constraints. Here's what, the, here's what the goal is. Because, you, you know, the thing that defines a toy I, I used to talk to Fred, Frederick Marcus, who, who uh, I was actually just looking up one of his IGDA talks uh, yesterday. Frederick Marcus, a uh, great, brilliant game director, he used to work with Miyamoto. He'd come around to people's desks and you'd sit down with him, or, or maybe it was just me, because like, he, he would come around to my desk. We'd sit down, we'd talk for hours about game design, about game theory, about like what makes a game. Like, how do you push yourself? How do you stress the system? Because if you're not stressing the system, if you're not defining it, 
you can live in a void. If you don't push your bubble out, like how do you even understand the limits? But the rule set. So the, the thing that makes, and I, I, I taught this at the Academy of Arts when I was teaching game design to art students, which, which in itself was a whole nother challenge, and, and especially considering several of them were ESL students, like, you know, trying mm. to teach somebody like where you're struggling to communicate with them in a basic conversation, try to teach them the most important thing and what defines a game is a victory condition or a lose condition until you know, until you know how you can win. And until you know how you can lose, you cannot have a strategy. You can't know how to get to that point. You don't even know where your goal is. You're shooting for the stars. You have to have an end goal in order to understand how you get there. And that's, that's where strategy comes in. And that's when you can find the details where you can find the, how do I do like this move instead of that move? And, and there's opportunity costs, of course, like one, once you start to, to define, okay, what are the actions that players can take? Like once you have a goal and then you can define the actions, then, and only then can you have strategy. I mean, that's game theory, right? Like there's a big evolution of competition, winning, losing, who's on top, who's on bottom. Going back to being a lead, being a mm -hmm. designer through and yep. through, that's done so many different things from end to end, bringing the game to life. You've really attached yourself to like AI and encounters. Oh, that's only recently. That's only recently. I've attached myself to several things throughout my career. Like I thought I wanted to do boss, like boss design because Bosses were the scripted moments within like longer cinematic games this is what I would describe them as. Like when we, when we were discovering like what 1313 was going to be, like when I was working at LucasArts, we went through iterations. We were like, we gears of, of Star Wars. Are we, you know, like mass, massive Star Wars, Mass Effect. Like, like we, we tried, we tried on all these different hats or all these different kind of genres and, and we try to see. You know, which one was right for us, but, but what we settled in was ultimately a cinematic shooter. But, but I wanted to make the big TV screen or like now, like, like I, I think yeah, like with the streaming like culture, like yeah. you can have them on your TV screen. Like, like it used to be cinematic screen. It used to be like, you know, going to the movies, but like, you know, those big moments of like, why do you go to the movies? First of all, you go to make out and like, you know, hang out with your girlfriend in the back of the theater. But like, you know, you know, those, those big like on screen moments, the, the, the Jurassic Parks, the yeah, yeah, those Hollywood blockbuster. You know, James Cameron's first film was uh, ever was Piranhas Two, and he was one of three directors. Damn, <laughs> it's hard to see him sharing directorial power with anyone. Yeah, I felt really hurt when when Lucas Arts got shut down. It was a and and now they're reopening it as Lucas Golden Games, which I'm glad that they're re they're doing that, but uh -huh. it, it's still. It was painful. It was painful. I, well, yeah, you thought you were going to be there for life. I was a Lucas Lifer. I, I, I was ready to sign my kids up for like 10 years before they were born for the daycare there. Like, that's how long the daycare line was. Like, because you got, I mean, daycare was crazy. In you the know, States, you know, for sure. Yeah, I'm, like, I, I was looking at, like, you know, like, like you know, establishing myself. My, my friend was working down at, at Java the Hut. You know, uh, down at our coffee shop. That's the name of the coffee shop at Lucas Arts. <laughs> yeah, well, it it was back in the day. I don't know. After COVID, they shut a bunch of shit down. They shut down sessions. They shut down Java the Hut. My my friend was was the leader uh, or the, the the executive chef <laughs> terminology. The executive chef over at Sessions. Shout out to to Dan 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 Bakers. He's a good buddy of mine. Like he's helped me through through the best and worst of times. There was something magic about that place. And mm. I, I used to take people on tours. I used to walk them around the campus. And you know, they shot one of the shots, um, like I think from episode two, like in the, the fountain garden there, like 
they edited it to Helen Beck, but it was a very special place. And it still is a special place. You have mm-hmm. Irem there. You have all of the money makers, which are, you, you know how Lucas makes his money, right? Isn't it from merchandise? Yeah, merchandising, merchandising. <laughs> they said it in Spaceballs. We have the, we have the Star Wars lunchbox. We have the Star Wars kitchen. <laughs> we have the Star Wars flamethrower. Like there's a, there's an interesting story there. I won't go into it, but, but if anybody wants to look it up online, there's an interesting story between, I think it was Sony and, and Lucas at the time, like about how he couldn't make the second film because he didn't have money in the first film that hadn't come out yet. But, but that was, that was the, his thing was that he was like, well, I will, I will retain the licensing rights. And so Lucas licensing makes all the money. Okay. okay. We had to license our own character back for the Force Unleashed 2. We had to license Starkiller from Lucas licensing. I shit you not. This is, this is a true story. And go talk to the Keeper of the Holocron. There's also a guy who is the Keeper of the Holocron, um, like who is, who is the head of licensing. Like the Keeper of the Holocron, you have to go talk to him. And like, we had to license our own characters back for the sequel because they owned the characters from the, from the first game. So that's the reason why if you ever played the Force Unleashed 2, you don't see any repeats except for Starkiller. Because the licensing hurdles to jump through. Yeah, we would, we would have to pay them to use our own characters that we created. Okay, so hold on. That seems a little crazy. I kind of understand from like a business, you know, hey, this is the process and to go around it is creates like an exception clause or something like that. But like you are LucasArts. Is that not essentially like first party to Lucas property? Lucasfilm is the parent company and uh-huh. Lucasfilm owns everything. So Lucas financing, Lucas arts, Lucas Isle, industrial light magic, Skywalker sound. Lucas, the, he has a nonprofit organization. If you ever listen to NPR and you hear, you know, brought to you by Lucas nonprofit, like, like they do a lot of great things, like, yeah. but the money maker, the people make all the money is licensing. licensing. It, it, yeah. People ask like, why is monkey Island coming out? Why is uh, Day of the Dead coming out. Why are they doing full throttle? Why are they doing like TFU? Where's money come from? Like, how are yeah. they, how are they making it? And, yeah. and that was the reason why they ended up like chopping off, you know, sometimes you got to chop off the arm of your baby, you know, to make the game. Those are something I learned at, at Full Sail, you know, sometimes in order to ship or some, sometimes in yes. order to, to sell to Disney, you got to, you got to make some concessions and you have to, you know, take out the least profitable section of organization. Because when Lucas started, and, and this is just hearsay, like what I've heard Uncle George uh, said was, you know, was like, you know, just make it true, make it, make it good. And, and that, that's, that, that was one of the things that drew me to the organization in the first place was that it was the art for the sake of art. Art, people don't recognize that the creation of a rule set is an art form. And, like and it, is, it is unique and it is like distinguishable, like between products, like there can still be derivative art. There can still be iterations mm-hmm. on your rule set. I made up a game one time uh, when I didn't have enough chess pieces and, and I didn't have enough checkers pieces. So we, we made up a game called che- Chesskers, where it's like, well, for every chess piece, it moves like a chess piece. Every checker piece, it moves like a checker piece. And then at the beginning of the game, you got to design your own like starting, starting set. You have, to, you have to place the pieces. They had to be behind the second dot yeah, or yeah. whatever. But like in and of itself, just just that that slight modification of you can either use checker pieces or chess pieces, and you can design like where they have placed your initial starting points. Yeah, that is seventh dimension kind of shit. Like yeah. you know. You're, you're, <laughs> Like string theory, like if you want to go up to the 11th dimension, like as you get like higher and higher up the dimensions, like, cause like I was saying before, I did astrophysics for a long time. Like I've thought about this, like what are the rule sets of the world? Like we well, have basic physics, like everything mm-hmm. drops at a, at a certain rate. 
well, you can change those. Like at, at a certain point, you've gone enough dimensions up we, where it's not only about the rules set, but it's also about the starting conditions. It's about the like, what if we changed the Big Bang? What if the Big Bang was was slightly bigger Whoa. or slightly smaller? Or what if there were different elements that composed the big, big Bang? Our most common element in the universe is hydrogen. That's how we get the redshift. That's how we like, you know, when you observe like a star, you have to like, subtract out the hydrogen. Like, what if the most common element in the universe was oxygen? What if we were a nitrogen-based like universe? Like, like you start getting into like Thanos territory and like you know like multiple dimension, parallel dimension theory. But when you're designing a game, you should think about it like that. Mm-hmm. Think about it like I I have this little pocket universe. I have this little this this game I'm designing, and and Will Wright actually talks a lot about this about you know designing Spore and is about designing you know you know SimCity was originally a helicopter game where you were gonna fly over and you're shoot things with a helicopter. And he found he found that making the city was more entertaining that the helicopter was going to fly over than than actually the helicopter itself. Man, I've never heard that story. I've heard a lot of like civilizations, some city takes, but he's big out here in the Bay. Like he's he's based in Oakland. You know, he has he has several projects. You know that he does, and he does a lot of education and outreach. You know, well, that was one of the nice things about working the LucasArts. They they brought in those people. They brought mm. in Meyer. They brought in Will Wright. They brought in, you know, some of the most seminal game designers. And I got to sit down with them. I got to sit down with Quentin Tarantino and be like, when you were working on Glorious Bastards, how'd you come up with the screenplay? And I got to talk to him about, he was like, well, I went to this record shop and I was looking through these albums. And then like, I, the sound design is, is what he focuses on first. Like, and, 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 and if you're, if you're trying to make a game or you don't know like what game you're making yet, I, I highly recommend Write the soundtrack first. Come up with the, I mean, and also watch High Fidelity because, you know, John Cusack, he describes it very well. Uh, you start out strong, then you kick it up a notch, then you draw it back before, so you don't blow your load too early. Then then you, you, you do a slow build up to a crescendo. It's the same thing as Shakespeare. Like, if you even go back yeah. to the classic three, like, act structure of, like, of what are the major beats of your game? What are, like, I mean, it's, it's. Again, it's fundamental theory, but if you let the music drive the pace, yeah, you think about it that way. Yeah, it's like pacing one on one, man. You just kind of distilled it down to its like purest form. I like it. As a multi-talented, multi—you know—instrumentalist, I play music. I I do games. Like you know, it's like jazz. Like you know, like you can't just like let it be free form or whatever. Like I I personally prefer a pop song over jazz. You know, uh, you can't just go off. Yeah, a little bit of structure. Helps the audience understand the message. You, you try to get a message across. Like, what is your takeaway? And and and, and uh, I asked this to Brian Sharp, but you know, yeah, dude, Brian Sharp, I got to connect with that guy. I, I asked him like he was talking to me about meditation or yoga, and I was like, "What's the takeaway?" And he's like, "What?" <laughs> he's like, "There's no takeaway." Like, my mind is so, is so focused. You're trying to max, man. You're trying to be like, right, "What's the point? What am I going to get out of this?" Well, well, you know that that's what we as you know, you know, apex predators slash you know, what survivalists, you know, well, whatever you want to define your, your personal like, human gameplay as being. But you know, well, we we look for patterns, and because mm-hmm. because do you know why we look for patterns? It's because it actually takes our brain less energy. Like if you if you are have to think about something, if you have to process something, thinking uh. takes calories. It takes calories. You actually have to think harder, and then it, you burn energy. And and so what we try to do is we try to find patterns. We try to find similarities. And so we our big brain, like you know, theory, it creates these neural pathways 
And mm-hmm. like, neuroscientists talk about this all the time, about the min-maxing and the optimization of, of finding patterns within society. And so that the Genova Chan actually talks about like the flow state a bunch and like, you know, mm-hmm. to get into a flow state, you have to like get those like neural pathways built, but then you have to alter them. Yes. It's Mario and the turtle, like the very first level of Mario. If you just, if you don't touch the controller, Mario runs forward. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried this before. Like it was a, it was a, it was a something that was brought up to me in, in a different game design talk. If Mario just runs forward, he runs straight into the first Goomba. Because mm-hmm. Goomba is, is, is right under three blocks and there's a fourth block on top of it. If you did nothing, first of all, you can't run backwards. So pushing the back. Screen moves with you. But, but uh, I want to I wanna be very clear. Just like quantum theory, like the absence of input is still an input. Like the, like, uh, the absence. That's like your zero case, right? It's, it's quantum theory. It's, it's a Schrodinger's box. It's, it's a, you know, the, the cat, you know, when you look inside the box, if you're alive or dead, the cat, poor cat, let, let's say, you know, it's a, look inside it's, the box. It's, 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 it's something that, that has less like uh, emotional attachment. You know, if you look inside the box and you have a bit, you get, you get a coin, you either have a coin or you don't have a coin because you know, cats are much more valuable. Than, mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. Or, but, but, but by not looking at the box, that's how we, that, so I, I have I have one one tattoo on my wrist and, and this is the most important thing. I know your your viewers can't see it, but at the most Describe it for me. Uh, the okay. It is what's called a PNP transistor. It has an input, it has a connection, and it has an output. It's also referred to as a type of switch, basically. So you can either switch it on or off. But the connection, it's it's the most basic form of a transistor. Um, it's what we have millions of inside of your phone, inside everything that you do. It's the most important invention since the plow. I talk about this a lot. <laughs> and sometimes it kind of has a plow shape, though. That's the crazy thing about it. Well, well, the plow allowed us to become an industrialized, like civilized society. My mentor, Mr. Hollis, rest in peace. Uh, you know, he 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 taught me about the fundamentals of electronics. Again, this goes back to like why why would why do I think I was more successful than my counterparts? You know going through, you know, programming and stuff like that. Yeah. Because, but it's because I was taught robotics. I was taught, you know, from the ground up. I, I, I had the privilege and honor of, of being part of, you know, a program, which was the pre-computer and, and engineering program that was developed by, by Mr. Hollis as a, as a alternative education kind of thing. Like he recognized that, that high schools were not teaching computer science they were not teaching he 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 was one of these punch card guys back in the day oh god yeah he he, he, he i've seen the stacks of punch cards how he like he used to program computers that's, that's the og and like miles and miles of punch cards feeding instructions all bits right you just kind of and, and, and then you drop the stack and they're like like <laughs> here's my entire evening <laughs> You know it happened. You know it happened, man. Oh, oh no. We're, there, we're all clutches. There, there's lots of war stories from the war room of, like, you know, being being in your, you know, in the zone. You're trying to develop. You're trying to hit a deadline. And then you drop the, the stack of cards. But it's the equivalent in, like, what we do today. You, 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 delete the, you delete the repository. Oh, God. But you could always recover that, right? No, like, no, no. You know, not, not you delete your local repository. You delete the repository. Oh, my The, the remote repository. Which like, ima- imagine you deleting your GitHub. Oh my God. Permissions, man. That would, that would be the good one today. But what I was trying to get at, and, and I think uh, a message I, w- I want to send your, to your listeners is, is that, you know, the transistor is the most important invention in the last 100 years. And, and it is, is the last, it's how we taught rocks to think. 
is the way I describe it to people. It's it wait, is wait, the, wait, who's the rock? The rock is the quartz, it's the crystal, it's the you know, it's the transistor that's made out of silicon. Oh like, um, it's how, yes. how the silicon is a crystal, it's technically a rock, like you know, the the which are finite, the, right? Like have you ever have you ever thought about the, the, the rock that we live on is just a big enough rock that we can't jump off it? Haha, <laughs> because is that because of the gravitational pull because of the size? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it matters. It really matters. It matters a lot to me. I can't jump oh, off this damn rock. Yeah, yeah. It's just a rock. It's too so big. You can't jump off it. But like every single every single um thing that's uh, inside of a, a computer. Well, there's the so JTAG, the Joint Task Action Group, or the or the people that made the original integrated circuit. I see. They're the people that made the silicon based like. Uh, you know, kind of things. And, and it's funny now because I've gone way into the hacker community. There's JTAG connections on everything in your phone and your in your water heater and your everything. Like you can you can you can tap into these JTAG connections. And if you know the fundamentals of electronics and computer circuitry, you can actually like decompile like mm. the instructions that are being sent like along those those things. That's how people hack phones. That's how people like do all this shit. But at the fundamental level, all it is is uh, not quartz, but silicon-based, you know, a crystal. Like, do you know why quantum computing is so big now? Why it's so important? I've always looked at it as just like kind of the the massive leap in processing that we can achieve with it. Why, where does that massive leap in processing come from? I mean, I imagine like there's some crazy jump across the number of cores that you're sandwiching together. See, that's the old school thinking. So the reason, do you know why we sandwich cores together in the first place? I guess we're just running out of space or we, we started going vertical. An electron, if you, you can only make a channel so narrow, mm-hmm. so so tiny, so compact, before the electrons start jumping channels, where they mm. start jumping between left right. That's the reason why like, multi-core processing came about was because we were we were hitting Moore's Law. We were hitting the maxes. Yeah. And, you know, we were not able to accelerate the processors any faster because we made them as small as we could. And literally, electrons are jumping back and forth. And then like, heat, heat's an issue, right? Heat and space. Heat, heat and space, yeah, definitely. Um, well, the heat increases the positive charge, and then it, it is, or it's a byproduct of the positive charge. But the electrons were jumping across channels in the, in the, when they try to make these, like, you can only make them a molecule thick. Yeah. Like, like, as small as you small know. Small size we can get to. So, quantum computing came about, like, because of the fact that they, they now have reached they're starting to at least like we're going to plateau on Moore's law if we don't if we don't actually have a way to to make things that are smaller than a molecule like yeah, yeah. When, you, you, when you start going to subatomic particles we got to change the game now right like how the how we approach and how we building this okay so there's two major game changers in that first of all how the fuck do you maintain that without a giant cooling system like, yes. When I was working on on the uh, Mars rovers, like we had a whole liquid nitrogen cooling system for, for any of our stuff. But but if you want to go subatomic, like if you want to go, you know, uh, like, like, particle smasher, like level, like you you first of all, one of the, one of the huge games is that you now are working with a trinary system. And I'm I'm bringing it all back. Like while well, turning your stack, you know, the important thing about, like, I, I, I'm i saving this risk, like my other risk uh, for, for the first quantum, pocket quantum computers. How far away you think we are? Mm, less than 100 years. I think I'll, I'll see it before I die. Like, I think okay. we're going to extend like that. Like, past 100 years, like, anyway. I so, like, give me give me a goal, man. Like, stay healthy, stay, stay alive long enough to see this thing. 
see yeah. what people do with it. Because civilization is going to move at a ridiculous pace once that comes together like that. We've solved the disease of aging. Aging is just a disease, like, you know, the same way that they deal with the disease. We've been able to figure out how to stop, like, cells from degenerating. Like, when you, when your cells split, they degenerate. And then, like, that's the reason why we have a finite lifetime. But quantum computing, getting back to the topic, quantum computing, one of the things to like about it is that it is a trinary system. Instead mm-hmm. of being a binary system, instead of being ones and zeros, which is what we describe as electrons, like, you know, ones, zeros, jumping tails. Positive, uh, negative, uh, yeah. uh, Positive negative. That, that's what this is all about. That's what the, the PNP transistor is all about. It's like, if you don't put anything in, you know, it doesn't connect. If you put something in, it connects. Yeah. But that's, that's binary. That's, that's where the ones and zeros come from. That's like literally the, the basis of all binary yeah. is, is a transistor. But with quantum computing, now you have a trinary system. Now you have one, zero, or I have not yet observed it. The, the act of not observing it is, is in itself a state. Oh, it's there we go. A state. They can be used in quantum computing. They talk about this in string theory and about and about this in quantum computing like theory. If you've ever taken, there's some great courses on, online, by the way. If you if you were interested in quantum computing, they offer them for free from MIT and from Stanford and from Berkeley. Like there are all these great like great online quantum computing courses. I recommend you go check them out. I'm with it. So like if I'm breaking it down into like let's say I'm writing a scripting node, I'm breaking it down like yo, there's a there's an on, off, and a not here. Not yet, yet observed. Not yet observed. Okay. Is there a symbol? Is there a symbol for that state? Is there like a ASCII character? No, no. That's because I'm saving my other wrist for that symbol. Like there, okay. there, there, there are a couple of diagrams online, but but they're conflicting. <laughs> no one's standardized it yet. You know, the second most important thing of quantum computing. So the, the way that we normally transfer information around the world right now is through fiber optic, right? Light, yeah. Yeah, through light. And, and so what, what is faster than the speed of light? I don't know. Quantum entanglement. So through the, through the act of quantum entanglement, we can actually beat the speed of light through, through that. Like that's the reason why computers are so fast is they move faster. It's, it's, it's the first, everybody talks about like, you know, like, oh, Star Trek and everything. It's like, no, we, we actually have measurable, quantifiable, like the, the only way they can do it is they shoot a beam of light. And then, and then they see that it's faster than the light. They, they shot it across a lake with like a 50 mile wide lake. And then you can see that the, the particle got there faster than the beam of light. Like we have scientific ways of measuring light and we have scientific ways of measuring quantum entanglement. And so I could communicate with China faster than the speed of light right now. Like if I had a quantum entangled quantum computer. Okay, bro. You just, you just broke it down for me, man. It's a trinary system. That opens up a whole nother factor of outputs and instructions and something that moves faster than the speed of light, which yep. I didn't even know was an element or like, that's not, you can't, it's not even, what is it? The way you do it is by folding dimensions. You go through the, through the fourth dimension up to the fifth dimension. And then like by, by having the, the two particles that are, they're entangled, like you could, you fold dimensions. That's the only way you can get faster than the third dimension. Okay. I understand at a high level. With my caveman brain, I understand the, the, the core elements of quantum computing and how we bring it back to from the transistor to this new mechanism, yeah. how we get here. Yeah, uh, but, but let, let's, let's talk about games. <laughs> let's talk about games, man. After that, after that making games is easy, bro. Let, let's yeah. go back to making games. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's stop solving like quantum entanglement. And, like, but this is exciting, solve. right? This is exciting because I definitely wanted to ask you of like, where are we going? Where can we get to? And 
And is even quantum computing like within the foreseeable future and how the, would that change what we do? So, I mean, let people noodle on that and speculate. And we can always talk about that in the future because that's just a topic that's not going to go anywhere. We're just going to keep getting closer and then figuring out all the different applications of it. But for people today coming to you and admiring what we do, what you built. Okay, well, so everything is just a tool, right? You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how fast your computer is. Like, you have the fastest gaming rig. That doesn't make you the greatest game designer. Good like, point. The design is about like experiential. It's about agency. And and it's the difference between a book and a movie like, versus a game. Like it is a passive media versus an active media. And through games and through interactive entertainment, we, we can build engagement and we can build these neurons like firing through our brain. But every every step of the way, that's kind of like where I was, I was trying to get at originally was was we as game designers, what we do is we build hurdles. Like we build hurdles and you have to be able to jump over that hurdle. If I made a 10 meter high hurdle for a three foot person, you're not going to be able to jump up there. Mm-hmm. You may have to make achievable goals. It's a, it's a systematic pattern and it, it follows the Shakespearean method of, you know, like give people agency, give them like power, give them, or at least some of the best games that I've experienced do this pattern. They, they, they give you agency, they give, they give you the ability as a player to be able to enact that agency to to show what I would call player skills. So you have the player skills. And as an AI designer, like if we want to get back on the topic of AI design, like what I have to do as an AI designer and, and what I do every day is I make achievable hurdles. Like I I make against the player skills. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So so if if the player skill is dodge, right? Yep. I I give you a a, a bull that runs straight at you. Yep. And you have to learn, you have to learn, oh, like it's going to keep charging straight at you and you have to dodge left or right. Like it's a, it's an achievable goal, it's a bit, but it's, it's testing your mastery of the ability to dodge left or right. Yes. With what you do today, Ben, how hands-on are you versus kind of more managerial? Is uh, that up to you? Do you get to pick? What approaches do you have for that? What do you like? What do you wish it would be different? I, I am, I am a big believer in leading by example. And, uh, and my managerial skill is I get in there every day. I would never ask anybody to do something I wouldn't be able to do myself or I couldn't do myself. Or how can you be working with production or, or if you don't have production, how can you be a producer yourself if you can't understand the, the, the amount of time it would take to do so? Or whether or not it is a known unknown or if it's an unknown unknown. Like an unknown unknown is basically in the production process, you have you pie in the sky, you have you have proof, produce, and some people call these things like L gates, or some people call them like you know different like, uh, milestones or whatever. Yeah. But you know you Green have the, you have like the seven seven P I think is, is what we call it or something like that. You have pie and sky proof or pre production proof produce. Then you have the ship, and you have the the final post production. Like ship is the only one, is, is the only one that it doesn't follow the P methodology. You have these very clearly defined phases. If you can't get over that initial hurdle, if you're a, a game designer and, and like if you're a fledgling game designer, what what I've seen people struggle with, mm. and and I've, I've being a teacher, being a professor, being a person who's analyzed games again and again, like I always say, well, what is your goal? What is your and and we talked about this at the beginning, bringing it back. You know, what is your win or lose condition? Yes. Until you have a win or lose condition, you don't know where you're going. And, and then and only then can can you define the, what the player skills are, because 
not every Mario can, you know, jump in three dimensions. Like some can only jump in two dimensions. Like, like until you give the player power, until you give them that agency, like you can't start to begin to define what are the obstacles that you have to like present to them with, with an AI. And the AI, well, again, shout, shout out to Sergio Osio. He was a big believer in, you know, AI should be the, the, the world's best second place finisher. <laughs> always, always like right on your tail, right on your tail. It, it should always be something that is challenging, but that is surmountable. Yes. And it's, it is something that you, you can do, but it should always be achievable to do. And it should be like increasing itself over time. Like as you were getting better as a player. So, so there, there are two types of games, like, or actually there's three types of games. There's social games, board and card games, and then video games. That's a whole nother thing. But, but, but within video games, within that, that third spectrum, there are, there are two types of games and there are, you know, ones where you increase your player skill. So things like Super Meat Boy, things like, you know, where, where in order to achieve success, like, you know, Binding of Isaac, like you have to not level yourself up as a character you have mm -hmm. to level yourself up as a person like you gotta get better like there's no way you can beat this next level unless you get better not not my stats are getting higher like it's yeah. not a mass effect it's not a oh well i just went and grinded out like a, a final fantasy right yeah. you go you can't beat the boss go grind it out you go get you your go stats stat, up. You stat up your character like you're leveling up your character you're not leveling up you as a person you're not learning new skills you're not learning how to be a better combatant. You're mm. not learning how to defeat the boss more effectively. Where all you're doing is you're statting faster. And that's that's increasing the, the stats of the character. It's not increasing your skill as a player. Yeah, putting in your reps, right? Just constant repetition, like exercise, right? Like building the muscle, just doing it over and over and over. Getting yeah. your timing down, your dexterity down, your reaction, observation. Right. Imagine, imagine it. I mean, and there are, there are some apps that, that do this now. It's like, imagine every rep. It's like, oh, you're going to wrap this like barbell. Now you're going to wrap this like pull up. Now you're going to wrap this thing. Every single the progression. thing. Yeah. Well, well, just like building your body, building your mind, you got to, you got to be holistic about it. You can't just like, you know, work the same thing over and over again. You have to, you have to actually try yourself, test yourself, like, you know, push yourself in, in all these different dimensions. In all the, all the eleven dimensions, like uh, like quantum computing, what or, is kind of like the most exciting development in AI that you've seen in a, in a while? Oh wow! Well, well, I don't know if you know, but we're way way behind. I mean, and like that's the reason why I got into hacking recently. In games, I mean, in games. Well, no, I mean, well, no AI, AI especially is you know is they they now have they now have access to quantum computing in in some areas and that what they're utilizing it for and 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 what they're doing is is so there's different types of machine learning. So AI 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 is is a whole field, but yeah. it's it, AI is a superset. It's a larger set of, of you know different types of subsets. And where where all the the most like you know advancements are being made right now is machine learning, mm -hmm. but people are not applying it as well as they could. You know, I have I have my own developments I've been doing for for the last five years, even before I was at 2K, like on on machine learning architecture and how to make a game engine that's based on machine learning architecture. But machine learning again, that is a superset. It's like okay, well within machine learning you have you have imitation learning, you have there's there, there's about like different types the, the the important part is that there are so many different types of machine learning that you can do now that are based on q learning or deep learning where you, where you take a large set of data and this is where the data mining processing companies come from this is where your fake spokes come from this is where your amazons come from 
but but they're they're way behind Alibaba. They're way behind Tencent in China. Like the coolest thing I saw at GEC this past year, and the coolest AI I saw was a thing called Wukong AI. If you haven't seen it? Look it up. It's basically How you they spell made that W U K O N G, like the Monkey King. It's okay. a it's in some mythology, but a Wukong AI. It was it's it's damn. It's like beats a team of pros. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. team of pros at uh, well because it has to use reinforcement learning. It has to use it has to use imitational learning. It has to use team based group tactics. It will like, you have to you the same way that I give a player agency when I make a an AI. It's it's called an agent. So the agent is the thing that has agency. Mm-hmm. Like, I make an AI agent. It has agency the same way I give a player agency. Like I can model like a player versus like these things, but like. Up until this point, there are certain things I don't know if you know about, like captcha and recaptcha and like recaptcha too. The reason why you now have to pick out like stop signs or whatever, <laughs> or rotate rotate the little thing in the right direction. You know, yeah. you know all you're doing is you're training AI there. Oh you, God! You literally you are training AI every time you do a recaptcha. Like look it up. Like they that's how they they catalog every single library in the world. Now they have a, they they got the you know the London Library. They got the well the New York Times. They they and they they were able like to categorize the New York Times in in like uh you know a matter of weeks because because there are certain things that the computers can do better than humans yes but but through reinforcement learning and through imitation learning is is what it's called we can actually train computers to do the things that that they can't do so we're 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 making AI right now that that are um, better than us but the only reason why they're better than us is because we don't have infinite memory. When you go to sleep at night, the RAM gets flushed, bro, or committed to long-term memory. Yeah, yeah, your RAM gets flushed. Yeah, you take, you take your short-term memory, you commit to long-term memory, but you don't have an infinite hard drive space. You get mm-hmm. a terabyte up your up your brain, like you can't you, know, you can't <laughs> add, add more storage space. Like it's not extendable storage. I like to think, man, you know, it's elastic enough, right? You can kind of keep building and stretching it and building those neurons. But you're right, right? Like things that you don't, you can't test everything constantly, right? So things that you haven't used in a while are going to kind of fade away, right? The whole machine learning architecture, especially if you've ever written a recursive algorithm, like you understand mm-hmm. how machine learning works. So what's it called? Workoff chain. The idea is that instead of having memory, what you do is you collapse the memory into a single state. And it's like, I don't have a brain that can remember everything. I have a brain that can only hold so much, but if I change it every day by using like what I've learned today day. in order to affect like the, the, the current state of it, then that, that is, that is machine learning. Like literally all we did is we, we said, well, what if we take this thing that has infinite space and we give mm-hmm. it a limited amount of space. And now with the limited amount of space, we have to rewrite. We have to like, like, you know, change the, the rules, the way that it approaches something like every day. What I've always enjoyed about AI design, right. is kind of surprising the player right that's what i've always kind of pursued whenever i'm i'm down deep in some behavior trees or gulp models or whatever like that what applications for games are you excited about i think the most exciting things are, like i said uh with the looking at wukong iai is like if you've played against like competitive players and if you've played against like real world players modeling real world players i think that like any person who's into competitive gaming mm-hmm. like uh, 
you know, we, we do this whole like a uh, survey where it's like, what are you, like, what type of game are you? Are you a casual player, competitive player, are you a story driven player? Like, you know, we, we have like all this modeling that we do like within my company, like in order to find our target demographic, that's a big part of like, you know, selling games and marketing games yeah. is finding yeah. a target demographic. So it depends, it depends on what your demographic is. It's a multifaceted question. What is the best AI? The best AI is what is matched to that player style. Like it has, it depends on your player style. If you are a solo driven story person, mm -hmm. then like the best thing for you is going to be uh, a series of hurdles that are slightly higher and that drop back down that give you a sense of power at the end of every chapter. So you complete a game, you go through the first act of the game, you get really strong, and then the and then you go into the second act and you just demolish everything. Yeah. You, you feel great. Because you're like, oh, well, I completed the first chapter. Here's my reward. Here's my extrinsic and intrinsic reward. Like, I, I'm both more powerful stat-wise and more powerful as a player. You get that adrenaline rush, that dopamine-like release. Because the game has, has, has shown you that, hey, you completed this thing that was really difficult. And so that's how you make solo games. That's not how you make multiplayer games Hell at all. No. No. It's completely different. It's completely different. When you're making a multiplayer game, if, if I was to make an AI for a multiplayer game or, or when I have made AI for multiplayer games, the focus is not on like these series of hurdles. It's about pushing your depth. It's about testing your mastery of different skill sets. And you could say that's kind of similar to what you do in, in a single player game, but it's the testing and the mastery is no longer driven by some narrative. Mm -hmm. It's now literally how fast can you achieve this? It's can you jump? Can you walk? Can you run? Can you do this? And the faster you can test somebody's mastery and then putting them against a real player as quickly as possible. Yeah. And then observing what the real players do against each other. And that, that's what we call imitation learning is now we model an AI off the imitation of, of what a real player would do. I like that. I like that. Right. Because my problem has always been that for the solo player who's trying to solely get better by beating on bots is never, ever going to be a match for somebody who's been playing other people. But maybe nope. the the goal is that... You know, the Wukong AI that the stuff Tencent made can now beat 99.97% of the players or something like that. Like, it, it literally, it's, it's an unbeatable AI. <laughs> it first came about after, I assume you're familiar with the game Go. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. I've never played it, though, but I know about it. One of my mentors, uh, one of the people who used to work at uh, LucasArts, Clint Hopkins, he talks about a uh, Go and about... Uh, there was this Japanese, very famous game of, of Go, where like you had the traditional person who was very, you know, like into the game of Go, who like was like traditionally trained, and you had the upstart, you had the new guy who was like, you know, well, post World War II Americanized, you know, Japanese Go player, and he did a very deceitful thing. He metagamed. He realized mm. that at the end of the day, when you sign like your your move or, or you put your move into a, a envelope for the next day. Because games of Go can last multiple days. That's how mm -hmm. in-depth Go is. Instead of chess where they're slapping the clock every two seconds, you know, they're trying to be as fast as possible because there is a finite moveset in, in chess. Go has a much larger probability space, which is why they, it takes several days. But, but Clint uh, Hawking, he talks about this uh, match where there was a very deceitful thing where if somebody made a move that was insignificant because they gave him 24 hours to think about his actual next move. And the, the, the Go master was very offended by this. He He's like, you just, you're not playing, playing for the, real. Yeah, you're not playing for real. You're gaming the system. You're, you're literally metagaming at this point. Like, you're playing the meta. He knew that if he gave him 24 hours to think about, you know, a move that he wanted to get to get to his, like, space or something versus just kind of 
wasting that time. Yeah, yeah. When Sam yeah. making the, the, most, the next logical move, he made an illogical move that gave him more time to think about the next logical move. He made the, what would be, if there was infinite time, if there was not a time between the last move of the match and the next move of the match the next day, there wasn't 24 hours, then he would have played differently. If he was forced to, on the spot, make that decision, he metagamed it. He was, it was like mm. one of the first examples of metagame. Like where he realized the rule set and he took himself outside of the rule set. Instead of playing as a player, he played as a person who's trying to win. Yeah. Play to win. Yeah. Play to win. Uh, yeah. Outside of play. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Okay. I mean, that used to not be a, a factor of the game, right? If you're breaking down the rule set, you know, there's no thing that says like, hey, you know, humans get to take a break after this much time, right? Like that was not yeah. something that was written down. That was something that when the Go people like invented Go and they were drawing with sticks and rocks on the ground, which is how Go was originally created. When you're drawing with like sticks and rocks on the ground, they were playing Go with a bunch of black rocks and white rocks or whatever. Like that wasn't something they considered. That was not something that was part of the original rule set that the person who, like I said, like chess, you know, the, the chess person like didn't, didn't think, oh, well, if I give people infinite amount of time and again it comes back to the fact that there is a much more finite rule space in chess than there is in mm -hmm. go and go there's a factorial of greater of number of moves because every time you put down a rock it can cascade and it can like capture things and, like you know, whole space yeah it. yeah exactly so so when tencent solved the go ai basically it was a thing in like 2018 it was like almost three four years ago now when they solved that like when or not tencent explicitly but when when they solved that within that space it was a huge thing it's called alpha go it was it was like it went from like deep blue to like they had you know so deep blue i don't know if you remember kasparov like uh, you know back in the 90s like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know he almost bought the, the presidio Damn, wait, when you're talking about the procedure, you're talking about like Bay Area. They were trying to determine like what they were going to do with this park space in northern San Francisco. He, he, him and, and Lewis bid on it back in like the 90s. And look, uh, grandmasters make that much money? I, I, don't, I don't know where his funding was coming from, but I, I think the, the U.S. government decided that the idea of using it as an arts and entertainment center instead of like, you know, cutting down all the trees and turning it into like some kind of like residential place was, was more beneficial to the city as a whole but uh, yeah the Kasparov actually bid and and he was outbid or or his his proposal was not as good as as, as lucas's which is why we have the presidio up in up in san francisco how far away are you from the presidio a couple blocks like you walk know, over a stone's throw uh i mean i can i can take a bus i can be there in 12 minutes nice nice i like being near greenery man before this, I was working up in Novato and, and I, I really miss the city. And so I'm, I'm glad to be back in it. Like it was a little bit disconnected working in the North Bay, but I think I'm, I'm really happy to be back in the city. I got to ask you, right? Activision's in the news, major purchase by Microsoft, right? Like almost $70 billion to buy the whole thing. And everybody has this speculation as to the wins and the IPs, but you can't argue the portfolio. You well, also, they also merged with Zynga as well. You, you heard that part, right? Uh, hold on, Zynga was taken. Not two. encapsulated by, oh no, excuse me, um, 2K. 2K encapsulated Zynga. Not, 2K encapsulated Zynga. Yeah. And like it's up Activision. Yeah. Uh, well, I call it Activision. Which major purchases all like in the same time window, right? Like big ass acquisitions. Well, sure. it's, it's, it's in the fiscal year. It's like mm -hmm. when these kind of things come out. Like they've been working on this the same way that, you know, they could have told us a year ahead of time when they were going to shut down LucasArts because the Disney deal was going through. Like, they could have told us that instead Kathleen Kennedy came down and tapped uh, Jeff Morris, my producer on the shoulder and said, by the way, uh, you can't release this game today. Like, like it was literally, we were, we were 
live for an Xbox Live, or we were ready to like pull the trigger on an Xbox Live beta with 10,000 people. They, they, some people data mined and they found the, the cover on the store. We were ready to go. Like sometimes production and anybody who doesn't understand that the games are driven by marketing, here's a slap in the face for you, you know, with a bucket of cold water. The reason why most game companies fail today is not because they don't have good games. Mm. It's because they don't have good marketing. And and market and, and this is the reason why why Zynga could could buy out companies. It's the reason why they could you know recreate games. It's, it's because marketing is sixty percent of your budget. If you're yeah, gonna yeah, if, you're interested, if you're interested in, in being the next Danny Bola, like, you know going off and making your own like game studio. Shout like, out to Polyart. Yep, yeah, next Polyart. Yeah, shout out to Danny. Why doesn't every full sale graduate like go out and just start their own game company? It's because like, it doesn't matter like the production costs. What matters is is new new user funnel, and this is this is what we figured out on Discord. And it's because it's not about making a great product, and not not about making a great game. It's not making about great, great platform. None of that matters if you do not have marketing. In the majority of your budget, like sixty percent of your budget, if you're going to make a game title, should be allocated towards marketing. Because you can buy clicks, you can buy likes, you can do viral marketing. You can, you can buy streamers. You can do everything you can like to make a great game. But if nobody plays it, mm -hmm. is that a great game? That's a good point, man. Nobody knows about it, right? Like, I mean, you have these indie breakout hits, right? That over time, word spreads, word of mouth. And, and that's how they come up without zero marketing. But it's rare and far between, right? That's why these publisher deals exist, right? As, as shitty or much as you want to avoid them or do your own thing. They help get the word out, right? They get you on the storefront pages. They're in their catalog, right? People have asked me, you know, like, you have good ideas. Like, why don't you try to make your own venture? And I, I have. It would have surprised me, man. I've started a dozen companies over the past 10 years. Like, my first company ever was the most successful. When I was 16, I made a company called Magic City Web Design. I made websites for uh, mentally disabled groups. Not the groups themselves, but for people who are advocates of them. So the things like the National Lives Family Ill or the Alabama Family Trust, like I was working with nonprofits um, in the area, like, and this is during the early 2000s. So while people were still figuring out what the web was, like, yeah, was timing, timing must have been a big part of that for sure. Yeah, it was a big part of that. Like, I mean, he'll pay for my college education. Um, like yeah. that's how, how, how it filmed. I help. I, I mean, th thank you to my grandparents and my parents for helping with that as well. Part of my college funding actually came from the profits from that venture, but you know, I've, I've made probably at least a dozen companies over the past several years. But the, the important thing is, is you have to have not just a product and that has to not just be a marketable product. There has to be a market for it. There has mm. to, you have to know what you're going to be playing this thing. Who's going to be buying this thing? Yeah. Who's going to be playing this thing? Who's going to be buying this thing? Like when, 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 very you know, often, right? Like it's rare. One it, of my favorite phrases when, when dollars come to donuts, <laughs> what? you know, that's <laughs> Southern Fraser. Maybe it's just something I heard over the years. Do not repeat that, man. I haven't heard that one. Dollars to donuts? What does that break down to? How do you get fed at the end of the day? Uh, are you making money with your game? Are you... Are you eating? Are you eating? Yeah, are you eating? Like, when the shit hits the road or when, like, you know, road meets the pavement or whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of turn of phrases out there. I've seen very few people who've struck out on their own. One of the people I really look up to, again, I gotta give Big shout out to Ken Hudson. He was our, our guy back in the day. Yo, I'm going to link up with him, man. I'm linking up with him. He's going to be on the podcast not too long from today. I, I would love to hear that podcast. Please, <sighs> please bring him on the show. Please we'll bring do. him on the show. But no, he's, he's one of the few people that, that struck out, like doing his own venture, 
But the reason why I felt like he was so successful, and I, I think he actually won a, an Academy Award for, for one of his things. He went back to work with Clint on Watch Dogs Legions. Like he, they're, they're up in Toronto, in he, that area. Actually, I think he's in this new spot called Brass Lion Entertainment, but I think he's out of Toronto. Yeah, out of Toronto. But he was one of the few people that I've, I've seen really strike it out on a new venture. Like, yeah. you know, go, go stake claims. Break from the mold. Yeah, break from the mold and go out there and, uh, you know, just took a, like, a simple idea or like a core, what, what we used to call it, full sale, like uh, the nugget. The like, nugget? You know, yeah, what's yeah, your nugget? Yeah, you know, what's your nugget? Like, you know, what is your core idea? He, he took it, he marketed it, he he got the whole package down right. And like, you know, it's, it's something that like, you know, I, I look towards like, uh, you know, maybe one time doing the future, but the only, the only way I would do another product or I'd, I'd strike out on my own is if I had a platform first and like, the only, like the game would be a product of the platform. Mm, hell yeah. I believe in platforms. Like, you know, when I was working with Jason Citron at discord, he's like, there's three major things you got to think about when you're starting a company or when you're starting a product or whatever, it's people, product, process. On my last game, like, I can't talk too much about it because, you know, it was never released, but we were trying to do too many things at once. We had a new team, we had a new product, we had a new process. And if you want to do all three at the same time, like, it's going to take a long time to develop each one, like, longer than a normal game dev cycle. Of course. Like, if, if you're, if you're going to make something new, you should focus on one vector okay. in the, out of those three. If you're going to have a new team, then fine if you want to make a sequel to you know the greatest game of all time something like you know like you want to make the next league of legends or something yeah. like you know you're gonna make league of legends 2 or dota 2 <laughs> ironically like you have to have a understood process an understood product which they did mm -hmm. and then you have, you have to have new people like you can't you can't do all three at the same time only it's a it's a good fast cheap right yeah 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 damn man you just broke down the Riot Games success story right there, right? I never yeah. even thought about that, right? Like, hey, they just kind of looked at something that was proven and existed and they didn't have to kind of reinvent it so that they can then build out their team, right? Which exactly. then kind of facilitated building out their process and tools. And then they yeah. already had a pretty well understood and established process. Like, I think, at least from my understanding, they, they had a tool set, they had an engine, they built the engine, like, but I also understood their market. You know what the greatest thing about, about League of Legends is? What's that? It runs on any machine. Yeah. Any machine. If you're a, a Brazil player, if you're a quick, 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 like if you're playing a Mordekaiser, like, you know, you, you can still, you can still enjoy the product. Hell yeah. Being an educator, being an instructor, like yeah. I think about things. I, I try to break it down for people. I hope the message gets across because I have my own thought process and not everybody thinks the same. Like mm -hmm. I don't, I don't expect everybody to have the same experiences like as well. There's the difference between intelligence and wisdom. Lots of people can be intelligent, have a high int score. Like if you want to get down to D and D terms, yeah, yeah. Like you know, like why do clerics have high whiz and low int, and why do sorcerers and wizards have high int and low whiz? It's because I think there are too many wizards and sorcerers in the game dev industry. Like there are people that have a really smart brain, but they don't stop and smell the roses. They don't see the full pictures in the Myers Briggs terms. Like, you know, you can be a person that is thinking or feeling, but you can also be a person that is observant. ENFP or ENTP, like Gorinfield, or my two, like Myers Briggs. Like, like, do you see the trees or do you see the forest? Yeah. You get caught up on this sensory input or do you see, are you perceptive? Do you see the, the bigger picture? The leaders that I look to and the, the people that are mentors to me are people that they can take that step back and say, Hey, 
let's not talk about a game. Let's talk about the game industry. And, and that's what I love when you're doing here with this podcast. You're taking people out of the moment. You're saying, okay, let's stop thinking about like when the next milestone is, what your next task, mm-hmm. what's your next like deadline. And uh, you, you say to people, hey, let's, let's talk about this holistically. Let's think about this for a second. Why do we make games? And that's what Dream Week was all about for me. When I first proposed the idea to 2K, Dream Week was, you know, something that it's about the why, not the what. It's not what are we making, it's like, why are we making it in the first place? And I think you could do this with any industry. What Dream Week was, it was it was five days. It was it was a full work week where, you know, I approached a company, I said, hey, can you give us all your resources and all of our, all the, you know, multi-billion dollar, you know, access to all the things that you have access to. Can we take all your tools, all the things that we normally have access to, but we focus on a particular product and can we just let people just make whatever they want? Or can a person take a step back? Can they not make what they want? Can they write about like what they want? Like we had, we had a person that did nothing but just journal for the entire week. Like that, that just wrote about games. Like it's about engagement and dream week is also about how you as, as a user want to engage. It's not a, it's not a deadline. It's not yeah. a timeline. It's not, like, some people do engage better based on deadlines or timelines and some people want to compete with each other. So we did elect a panel of judges, like from every demographic and sexual background and, and you know, race and everything like in geographic background. We, love we made a very diverse panel of judges, but the goal was to make sure that everybody felt recognized, that everybody felt like they were doing something that was worthy and, and just give them the full weight of a corporation to, to make their dreams come true. That's epic, man. I love because the fact, you know, you have an international team, right? Like spread out all over the world. So diversity. I'm up all hours of the night interfacing with, uh, you know, people in the UK. We have, we have a studio in Britain. We have a studio in the Czech Republic. We have we are actually multiple studios in the Czech Republic. We have outsourcers that we work with in China. I don't get much sleep. <laughs> I, 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 I work a lot. And But when you love what you do, yeah. you never work another day in your life. That was something my dad taught me. That, that's something, that, uh, you know, I, I hold true to my, my story is, is, you know, when you love, when you genuinely enjoy what you're doing, and, and like, I felt this way working with, with Dave as well, it's like, it's not, a, it's not a job anymore. It's really, now it's a passion. It's a drive. It's something that is a defining characteristic to look back around. I statted up. Like it's just, it just, it just, uh, you know, became another stat of mine, but you know, okay. Why well, I, I leveled up my game dev stats today. Hell yeah, dude. I love taking the time to link up, kick it with you. Dream week. I mean, it just seems like something that creatives need, right? Like we kind of all. Always... No, no, not just creative. It's something that everybody needs. Hu- I was every about... Human people, people, yeah, people, people need. People need. Like, like I, people I, in finance, I, I, people in, in marketing, people in HR, people in, in, no, in that, services. That was the thing is that it was part of Dream Week is you don't have to do your normal job. One of the coolest projects, so Dream Week was actually inspired or appropriated is probably the better word, like from LucasArts, like pre-closure back in 2009. And I still have, I probably displayed the, the ribbon on my wall. Like I got, I got best knockoff. <laughs> and, and some, some people would take that offensively. Like, like Copy something. What? Like, well, we, we had made a, a 1942 clone. 1942 is like vertical, top down, plane, scrolling up, shoots, you know, like hell, bullet shooter, plane thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of Japanese, like, you know, bullet shooter kind of games out there. Well, yeah, we, uh, the, thank you for, for, for giving some context for your listeners. We had four people. We had, we had myself, we had a producer, we had, a, you know, a audio guy, and we had a, an animator. Shout out to Kinto. But we didn't have a modeler. We didn't have a person that could make models for a game. So again, 
designing within constraints, designing within yeah. constraints. And what we did is we took up we took a camera, like back in the day when you had like you know like handheld cameras, like now where it was a phone, an actual camera. Like we we took uh top down pictures of each of the stuffed animals in the office. <laughs> and then and the stuffed animals became the characters. We would tilt them slightly 45 degrees, we take a picture. Like it's the way you do stop motion. Yeah. Way it's the way you know robot chicken was made. Like you do stop motion. Like and so all we did is we we had frames and we and yes, and that's the turning and banking. Yeah, the turning and banking. Nice. Like you, you, know, you turn or left or right. The gameplay, except for the final unicorn boss battle that I'd made, I stayed seventy two hours over the weekend in order to to get that boss battle in. Because what was the time frame for uh, Dream Week? Was it a week? Literally like seven days. It was seven days, but one of the things that we we settled on, like talking to HR and like in a, and working with the international team, we're very big on on corporate culture, and we don't want to ask people to work outside of normal working hours. So we did not want to extend over again. We did not want to have people coming in on a Saturday or Sunday working on it. So so we 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 stuck to five days, like a normal like eight hour. Start Monday, submit Friday night, or start Monday, review Monday. Because we had to deal with the Czech Republic. So the Czech Republic is nine hours ahead. So they're, they're GMT plus one. We started on their beginning of their work day. Uh-huh. And then we ended on the, the end of their work day on Friday. So, okay. yeah, I, th- I think I think it was, I don't remember. The, well, that's another thing about Dream Week is that people submitted shit late. Like, I didn't care. Like, you're, 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 <laughs> we don't give a shit about deadlines. No, no, we, we do. For people who want deadlines, we gave them a deadline. Yes. For people who don't want deadlines, there were three vectors of Dream Right, there were, there were there were people who wanted to um, compete, and even within that, there were people that wanted to have a preform team and people that wanted to be match made. So I, I actually made two queues. Like if you have a pre made queue team, the same way that we do matchmaking in a game, yeah. Like, so they don't get judged. They don't get judged by the same uh, categories as the people who were sold queue. Oh. They have a whole different judging category. Like I, I I'm I'm gonna write a blog post. That's super equitable, right? Like because there's definitely advantages to like having rapport and knowing each other versus people like having to get to know each other just to start working together. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, the people that were working together for the first time, you know, we had the, the match made masters. We had the, the, the best indie solo. Like we had like, you know, different awards that we gave to each group yeah. based on, on what their like ideas were and, and how they, how they worked within those constraints. Cause it's not, it's not fair. Like some, some of the pre-made teams have been working for a month ahead of time, even before we announced Dream Week, cause they already had a team. They mm-hmm. were already working on a uh, rat catcher was one of the names of the games where you have to catch a rat as a, as a cat. There were two, two separate teams in the Czech Republic. They were already working on this for a month ahead of time. And it wasn't fair to judge them against the other teams. So, so when we did the award ceremony, like we had a whole separate category. Like we, we acknowledge the people who, who were not in either of those queues. Okay. And that's what, all, that's what it's all about. That's what dreaming is about. It's about acknowledging everybody saying, Hey, these are the cool things. Like, you know, um, that you did, these are the cool things I do. They're not always equitable. They're not always exactly, you know, quality, you know, based, but you know, some people work better under a deadline, but some people don't work good under a deadline. So that was only one aspect of doing mm. that. Was, that was that was the forward facing. That was the you know let's let's promote and let's like do this thing. We also had the the free dreamers, is what I call them, or the lucid dreamers, is what I call them. Lucid dreamers, yes. Yeah, which is you know just do whatever you want, do it on your own time, do it on your own schedule. Nobody's gonna be pressuring you. Nobody's gonna be giving you a time or a deadline or anything. Take this week for yourself to work on your own, whatever you think is best. Damn. Then 
And that kind of freedom, that kind of freedom is the thing that people came back to me time and time again. And I, I, I passed these, these things along to, to the other people because I was only one of the organizers. I was, I was, I was the most front facing one, but I was, I was only one of the people like that was, that was making all this happen. Like it was, it took a lot of work behind the scenes, like, you know, get the leads on board to get the, the, the licensing. Like, you know, I'm thinking about this, like, you know, if we're going to, we're going to be making something at, at a, as an official studio, we have to make sure that every single thing is licensed. Everything, several thing is, if you're using a piece of software, if you're using a, if you're using an asset, if you're using a sound, everything has to be fully licensed in order to be in compliance. Cause we, we can't, we can't make ourselves vulnerable like that. We're, we're a big company. Like yeah, if we're okay. doing, even, even if it's never released to the public, even if it's not for commercial release, even doing something like that, like it's something, again, it gets back to, you don't think about the marketing costs. You don't think about the licensing of the software costs or the licensing of the asset costs. Every single thing that was made in Dream Week had to be homegrown, had to be handmade. Okay. Okay. You not, you're not allowed to use anything unless it is like MIT license or something that's already free yeah. licensed for, for public use. Like that was, that was the only like, so stuff on the unreal store was all fair game. Okay. Because because when you buy it, you buy it in perpetuity. Yes. Part of organizing Dream Week was making sure that everybody was in compliance. So that, like, I'm just curious about the rule set, right? Like, we got the time frame. Is everybody using, like, a same set of, is it a consistent engine? Is it consistent, like, IDE or? I wanted to make it more open, like, where you could use, you use know. whatever. Um, you use whatever, but. Due to compliance, we, we had to restrict it, you know, to, to Unreal just because that was the only one that we could guarantee compliance. Okay. You guys had a, a, a I don't know what they call it, multi-user well, no, no, license we, or we something. We contacted Unity. We, we got in touch with one of their, like, biz dev people. Like, we, we had conditional licenses, but then they would face that after the event, like, they're going to take back the licenses and, like. Because Unity is, like, per seat, right? Yeah. 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 So it was, it was. It was a whole thing, but no, we looked at Godot engine. We looked yeah, at yeah, Godot's our, free. We looked at the the whatever the successor to Lumberyard is. It's called <laughs> Open Three like, D. Yeah, Open Three D. Yeah, we looked at all these things, and and you know, I I wanted to um, encourage people to look at other tool sets and look at other pipelines because I think look, we just come off of using our own internal engine for the last you know thirty years or whatever. Right? Yeah, it's so good to see how other ways to do the thing, right, and like bring that back. Yeah, yeah. It's good just to look at other other tool sets and other ways of thinking and like other design paradigms and patterns and like totally. everything. I just learned recently that Unreal has utility blueprints. Have you seen utility. You can build tools. You can build tools in the Unreal engine in blueprint. Like you can make you can make Unreal blueprint tools like that are like, you know, windows that show up like as a, a an editor oh. window. They're not real. Oh shit! So like MFs, like Windows. Okay, okay. I gotta look this up, man. You well, teaching me? It, it, it's it's still in engine. Okay, in like, engine, you, separate you Windows. Browser window out, or, or an asset browser window, or something like that. You know, tools are my jam, bro. So I got I gotta look into this. I'm excited. Yeah, about yeah. That. You, you look. Uh, they used to call it blue utility. <laughs> I think it was, the, it was the old term. But yeah, utility. it's uh, utility blueprints. That's native to the engine. That's not like a plugin, a third party plugin. Right. As a 16 year old game, like ideologist, like, you know, you have an idea, but you don't know how to make games yet. Why, why are we making it so hard for them? Like, why is it so hard for, for a person that just has a game idea? Like I've, I've, I've been pitched so many game ideas, by by people outside the game industry, when I tell them I'm a game designer, like they come to me and they say, oh, I haven't decided for a game. Why don't we do this and this and this? And I say to them the same thing I was, I would say to any of my students, the same thing I'd say to anybody else's game jam that I'm evaluating. 
what is the goal? Mm. What, what, how do you win or lose? When, what hurdles are you presenting the player along the way? Boom. Bring it all full circle. All right, my friend, we are going to enter the final round. Are you ready? Final round. It's the final round. I forgot, man. You got a good voice, man. We haven't well, done I, like I, I play I play in a band in some yeah. school. Max Rats. God damn. I love it. All right. What's the last game you finished? Shit. Oh. Finish? Like, okay, are you talking about completionist? Roll the, roll the credits. A Half-Life Alex was the last Ooh, one I just yeah. said to the credits. Did you think that was a great, like, test of the medium? It, it, it is Half-Life 3. It is, it is. It really is. It's the next evolution of Half-Life that is the best. I mean, like, I play a lot of games for competitive analysis. Mm-hmm. I watch a lot of pro players play games. I, I love games done quick. I love seeing how the way people hack their ways around games or or use glitches like in order to get past like certain areas. It reminds me of the importance of QA and how much I loved being in QA and how valuable our QA testers are. Like, uh, I think with a work from home environment, like people are trying to outsource that stuff. Like, mm. like you have to have embedded QA. You have to yes. have QA yes. answers that are in part of your pod that like understand what the goals are. 100%. If you have to make a AAA game dev pod, you got to have a designer. You gotta have a producer, you gotta have QA. Those are the three basic requirements. Like engineer would be great. Sometimes artists would be always, great. Artists would be great. Sometimes they're not always built. Oh, those are shared resources. So yeah. like Yeah, they're always shared. Audio person, yeah. What's the last book you read or listened to? Oh, I, I was just reading uh, Ready Player Two. I really loved uh, Ernie, Ernie Klein. It's like I, I both read and listened to the audiobook. It was narrated by Will Wheaton. I, I don't I don't know if he's still doing tabletop gaming, uh, but he used to do a, a great thing over On there YouTube, yeah. where you you show different tabletop games. Which, like, again, it's like one of these things where I don't always have the the full amount of time to like sit down and play a game. But if I can watch a game or can watch somebody break down the rules, and they do a really good job of of making it entertaining, keeping keeping the rule set relevant and like, uh, you know, like making, but, but understanding the context of the game, like they get into the character. It's like watching your favorite Star Trek actors embody the roles of the characters in the board mm-hmm. games. So that's I'm, cool. I'm, the little role-playing aspect of it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So you've done a lot, Ben, you know, like you said, I wouldn't say I've done a lot. I've said I've done a little, Okay, I've, you've done done a little, a- I've done a little bit of everything. Little bit um, of everything, right? Like you've worked on one of almost every type of game in the genre across platform, across types. You've been in robotics, you've entrepreneured some shit, you've been in academia. Of all of those, right? If you had to pick one thing, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of being a student. I'm an eternal student and everybody should be an eternal student. I'm learning every day. Every every single thing that I've done is just another way for me to gain knowledge. You know, and until the day I die, until until you know, I I have my last breath. Like I'm I'm going to be an eternal student, and everybody should strive to be so. There is no mastery. Like there is no completionist score in the game of life. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Is it common added added now? But but uh, you know, the only way you lose, bring it full circle. The the, the win loss condition. The only way you lose in the game of life is when you stop trying. I'm with you. I agree. The day you stop learning is the day you die, man. The day your mind stops being important or stops having inputs, right? So it's not going to give you any outputs. I like that. I'm with you. If you can go back and talk to 18-year-old Ben Rattan, what would you tell him? 
Shit, I was making great stock investments at the time. I would have said, keep the, keep your stock investments. But if I had to give him like a nugget of wisdom, if I had to give him the nugget, I would say, uh, listen more, talk less. Oh, okay. The two ears, one mouth. Yeah, one mind, two ears. Yeah, okay, okay, dope. I like that one. All right, brother, where can people reach out, connect with you, see what you guys are working on? Are you guys hiring? We absolutely are hiring at 2K. We, we have a job board there listed. You know, I, we... I have a couple of projects in the works. You know, if you reach out to our recruiters, they can tell you a little bit more about like, what opportunities are available. But you can also uh, look me up on benretan.com. You can look me up on my website. I do want to uh, um, say a couple of things. So I'm trying to think about like what the future of not just gaming is, but the future of game development. Mm-hmm. And, like, Interactive how, how media. How do we make it better for developers to make games as opposed to just like, you know, it, that, that's part of what my learnings were from Dream Week was like, I was, I was observing, I was watching, you know, like, how do we make the future of gaming together in collaboration and how do we not reinvent the exploding? Amen to that, bro. Amen to that. I'm with that. I'm on the, the eternal search for like optimizing game engines and teaching people to, to use these things and not have to what do we say? We say like you spend 60, 70% of the time just making something work and you only have like 30, 40% to make it fun. You know what I'm saying? We want to flip that shit. Also, another thing that I, I mean, I kind of knew this is like as 18 year old Ben, but like something I'd say to myself again, like just to reiterate with write everything down. If you are, if you are a new person, I can't, I can't recount the number of journals like uh, that I have. I found recently that are like, you know, especially during COVID when you start to pull out all the boxes and you yeah. start to open up all the books, you're like, damn, that was a great idea that I wrote down like 18 years ago. Like write everything down. And even if it's all whiteboard, even if it's temporary, like the, the act of writing, they, they say this in education, when you're learning about education, you, you learn so much from listening. You learn so much from like speaking, you learn so much from writing, you learn the most from teaching. But like the, 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 just the act of, of taking it from your conscious mind and, and like having to, you know, alliterate, you know, try to write that down. Like if you're trying to transcribe like your thoughts, yeah, like it, it is, it is you know, a really important process. Again, it gets back to the quantum computing. Those are more pathways. Definitely. I, I plus a thousand that I like that too, right? Like we can watch things to the end of time. We can listen to things, but it is until we go through the active step of writing it down that it actually starts to kind of sink in right what's the difference between books and games exactly right in- passive versus uh interactive right active yeah passive versus active, active. Passive versus like, active. interaction like with through the act of writing it down you are being active you're no longer passive love it who do you nominate we right now we're on the second season of the podcast right <laughs> so we already know the criteria i, I already know what you're getting at i'm telling you kim hudson Ken Hudson, your next guest. I you nominate Ken Hudson to fall out of the play area behind you, Ben. I'm gonna make that shit happen. And even if got if I even if I got a name drop, you was like, yo, bro, Ben Raton wants to hear you come on the show. You can't say no to him. I'm gonna make that happen for you, bro. Do you have any last words for the people out there before we wrap it up? Don't stop dreaming. You know, you may think that that you're just a pawn in the game of life. You might think that you're, you're being played by other players. Take back that agency. Remember that you are your own master of your own reality and that this is just a dream. Uh, we're just the imaginations of ourselves and you know, uh, your perception is reality. Going back to that dream thing, one last thing before we wrap it up. How much work or time or effort did it take to make Dream Week a reality? 
months, months, months of red tape paperwork, getting across country borders, state borders. Like it was, it was not an easy process, but I had a great, great, great group of people helping me along the way. It takes a village um, to make a game. There is no grandma's boy. Like you can't. Oh God. You don't make a game in isolation. You don't. On the console, he just took the Xbox home and he, he, he put the game on the controller. There was a guy who made a, a a Titanic mod to Mafia, like original Mafia, Mafia 1. Yeah. Like it took yeah. 20 years to make it. If you want to get something to market, like if you want it to be in your lifetime, you got to work with people, be willing to work with people, be willing to make concessions, reach across the aisle, you know, shake hands with people and, you know, listen, 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 listen. Speaking of working with people, we do want to mention that we have some jobs open here at 2K. You can go to 2K.com and there's a job section. You can also go to the Greenhouse website. That website is going to be boards.greenhouse.io slash 2K. I love it, yo. All right, we out of here. In this industry, I'm lucky to bump into people who offer such an interesting perspective on the way to look at life and thinkers that I can have a profound conversation with in whatever direction without any kind of guidance or notes. I mean, Ben is a life, a self-proclaimed lifelong student who admits to not being able to sleep because he's always working on something. This interview felt different to me compared to my other episodes. It felt like we were simply on a wave just discussing the arts of games. And if it didn't sink in, remember, the first thing about making a game is defining the goal. What's the win condition? What's the loss condition? I know this is a wide spectrum in interactive entertainment, and you could definitely get into a debate on what it means to be a game and it not having to have a specific win or loss condition. I remember in my days in school, it's definitely one of the early bits we're taught when breaking down game theory. I can walk away with a bit more pride in what I do. Up until this conversation, I would not have looked at somebody designing chess to be an artist. And now, I agree. If you can break down a rule set that eloquently, that everything kind of solve, you know, balances out and leads to a win, a loss, or a stalemate, that that is an art and not everyone can do it. It makes me think about the time I went through rules of the game at Full Sail, my class with Dave Arneson, the creator of Dungeons and Dragons. And I'll be honest, for me, I didn't appreciate that time. I couldn't tell you much about that class other than getting to know about an awesome board game in Catan, right? That was my biggest takeaway from that class. And if I could go retake that with him, I would, but I'll never have that opportunity again because Dave has moved on to that next life RPG. So I really take advantage of being able to talk to people like Ben or Jameson Durall, who, unlike me, cherished that class and soaked it up and really connected with one of the OGs in this game space. One of the greatest things I took away from Amazon was our dedicated leadership principle to learn and be curious, which manifested itself as actual days in the scheduling, right? I think it was like 20% of our schedule would be learn and be curious days. And we were empowered to go off and pick up a new technology, read something, anything that would get the creative juices flowing that we could bring back as a skill to empower the business or what have you. And then even at EA, we had something like this, I forget what they were called. And it was something that was easy to kind of be like, oh yeah, we'll push this off to planning or we'll push it off to the next milestone. So you got to be careful. We'll make sure that it stays planned. But 
having it as part of the culture was something that I'll never forget because normally up until then, everything I had done at a game studio was just feverishly behind the pursuit of getting whatever project shipped or completed or hitting the next milestone to get the next green light meeting or something like that. And at Epic, I'm still trying to figure it out, right? Like, uh, ultimately it's very easy to take advantage of the limitless amount of opportunity of resources we have available and go propose something and then pursue it. But I'm still trying to learn the tact and strategy, right? And still trying to deliver my first big win as part of the team and prove myself. For Ben to come into a company where it's not the culture and really propose that and, and spin it up grassroots with a group of people and invest the months and months and months into making the time and finding the technology and clearing all the assets and defining a rule set and making it as inclusive to all the types of workers and people that you have. It's just fantastic. And it's a huge feat. It is no small feat. I think that was my favorite part of the interview was hearing about what Dream Week is, how it came to be and what people got out of it. I would love to connect with more people who went through Dream Week. If you were there, hit me up. I'd welcome your story. On episode 32 of Out of Play Area, we sit down with Zach Moonbach, a designer at the Wandering Band. I got to know about him as a result of reading Jason Schreer's Press Reset book. When I was working at EA at the time, he had this kind of dream run through the company where he got into QA and worked his way up the ranks as senior producer to do all types of things at EA and work on some amazing franchises. You won't want to miss that story. That debuts on Monday, May 9th. Make sure to follow us so that you don't miss out on that episode. Thank you for listening, devs. If you found this episode informative, I ask that you pay a link forward to a developer to help grow our listener community. If you're a game developer with a story you think could help a fellow dev out, please go to outofplayarea.com and click on the Calendly link at the top to meet up. Please make sure you get approval from your manager or studio's PR or HR team beforehand. Out of Play Area, the Game Developers Podcast, releases new episodes every other Monday on all the major players, including Spotify, Apple, and Google. Please make sure to follow us to see what developer falls out of the play area next time. I'm your host, John Diaz. Until next time, devs, stay strong, stay true, stay dangerous. Fight attendants, prepare for takeoff. Captain crew, please take your seats. We are now about to enter the out-of-play area. Yeah. If you can't reach me, I apologize. Since we out of play, I never compromise. John D, NYC, know we got the vibe. Huh? Make sure you hit that follow when you hit subscribe. Out of play area podcast. Out of play, out of play area podcast. We got a play. It's just a little something for the game devs. Stay strong, stay true, and stay dangerous. Had to switch the styles for a challenge. Best thing out of Harlem since Young Miles Morales. A new podcast comes to provide the balance with game dev veterans and rising talents. Out of play. Welcome to the Out of Play Area Podcast, a show by game devs for game devs. With no ads, no BS, just the real. Welcome to the Out of Play Area. Let's go.